Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Good morning, peeps, and welcome to Woke AF Daily with me, your girl, Danielle Moody, recording live from our podcast studios here in Times Square. Folks, interesting news has been popping up once again out of the state of Texas because it seems that Governor Greg Abbott is on his campaign to be the worst fucking governor in America. So in a la- in his latest right scheme, and let's just be clear, that Abbott is facing not one but two Republican challengers for the governorship. And so he feels the need to compete to be the worst person in this country. Not only has he banned abortions for women at six weeks, not only is he restricting schools from being able to keep uh, children safe, but now in his latest move, he has decided to ban all vaccine mandates, not just for state and government, not just for government workers, state, local, and federal, but also for private businesses. The question that I have is that I thought that Republicans were for private business. I thought that they were for the privatization of everything fucking thing. So it's shocking to me that now Abbott is coming in hot and heavy telling private businesses what they can and cannot fucking do. Interestingly enough, as he decides to sign this executive order, that would essentially, why doesn't he just go one step further and just ban vaccinations altogether, right at the same time that Texas has now swooped in for the lead of COVID cases in the fucking country? This man himself has been vaccinated and then on top of the vaccination also caught COVID, right? So he understands or should, you think, understand the precarious nature that we are in, but he doesn't. He doesn't give a damn because the only thing that Greg Abbott gives a fuck about is holding on to power, which is evident, right? And right now you have the people in Texas, you have women in Texas and people in general in Texas 
basically living in a developed nation. When you think about the state of Texas right now, you think about their voter suppression laws. Apparently, democracy does not exist exists there. You think about their Roe v. Wade, uh, their attack on women's rights. Apparently, that doesn't exist there. So you think to yourself, what the fuck is going on in Texas? Because I'm waiting for the executive order when they just decide to succeed. And I, not succeed, but secede. And here's the thing. I wouldn't miss Texas. I really wouldn't. I don't give a fuck. At this point, I would love it if Florida, Texas, and whatever other fucking middle of hell type of place that is run by these inefficient, ineffective executioners decide to do. I'm like, fucking leave. I don't understand at this stage in the game. I'm going to be honest with you. And I don't really give a damn because at this point, I I feel like I have moved past no fucks given. What comes after zero fucks? I I don't know, but I believe that I am there because I no longer want to waste time convincing these motherfuckers to get vaccinated. You want to die? Go for it. Take yourself out. I don't care. I don't want to convince you. I don't want mobile vaccine units into your fucking neighborhoods. I don't want to help you. You don't want to help yourself. I don't want to fucking help you. You know, here's the other thing too. When I think about what's going on, because everybody and, you know, our friend, Dr. Jonathan Metzl will come on later and he will tell me, oh, Danielle, no, it matters. And we should have empathy and we should care. But here's the thing. I stopped caring. I think that I stopped caring about six months ago. You know, when the vaccines were available to all people right? When they were at every single fucking pharmacy, that there is not a community that has, doesn't have a vaccination site within five miles. Like I'm kind of fucking over it. I don't care anymore. Like I am vaccinated. And the only thing that I'm waiting on right now is a fucking booster, right? Because I would like for my vaccine not to wane out while we try and get more of these people who are not going to get fucking vaccinated, right? So I'm saying to them, Die in mass. Let Darwinism take its fucking course at this point, right? Less of them means better for us. And I I swear to God, I don't feel bad about saying that. Not at this stage in the game. We are, folks, 19 months, 19 goddamn months into this global health pandemic. And what we know to be true is that Pretty much COVID is going to be here to stay. So all of these people that are dying to go back to normal, I just want them to die, right? Because the only reason why at this point that we are never, ever getting back to a place of normal where masks are now just a part of our everyday life is because of Donald Trump, is because of Republican governors like Greg Abbott and Death Santis, is because of all of these motherfuckers that care not about nothing, not their constituents, not public health, not civility, not patriotism, not a fucking thing other than power. And I'm sick of it. I'm sick of everybody sitting on the fucking fence at this point, right? So the, the other day, I'm on Long Island, right? Because my, uh, my, I went to go hang out with my parents for the long weekend. And, you know, there's a big difference. If you are not from New York, let me lay it out for you. There's a big difference between what happens in New York City and what the fuck is going on out on Long Island, right? So let me paint this picture for you. 
I'm, a, I'm in the suburbs and I decide I want to go to home goods, right? Like I want to go, you know, shopping because, you know, those type of big box stores in the city don't have the best selection. Why is that? Because we got a lot of fucking people and not a lot of inventory. So I love to go to big box stores when I'm out in the suburbs. So I roll up, right? Mask on because, you know, I care about public health. And I go into home goods. Not near a fucking person in this store was wearing a mask, except for the workers that were there. Everyone else walking around the store, maskless. I'm saying, huh, this is fascinating. I go to the bagel store. Again, I walk in. I'm getting looked at, by the way, because I'm wearing a mask. And I'm looking at these motherfuckers and I'm like, oh, is COVID done in, on, in Suffolk County? Are we, are, is it finished? Did I not get the memo? Like, I get that the rates in Suffolk County, which is where my family's from, Long Island is made up to t- in two counties, Nassau and Suffolk, and my family's from out east. And I understand that the COVID rate has dropped hovering around 2%, right? Which is fairly good when we look at where things are nationally and when we look at places like Texas and Florida and what have you. But at the end of the day, I also live in an area where Trump flags still fly high in the sky, right? Where motherfuckers have up Trump posters on their garage doors and like are hailing to their fucking, you know, fake ass, criminal ass, twice impeached, misogynistic, rapist, Islamophobic, transphobic, homophobic piece of trash, right? And when I look and I see my family's neighbors, right? With their Trump flags, to me, what it looks like is just, why don't you just put up the Confederate flag? here in New York. Why don't you just swing your hood from the KKK up in the air as well? Because I don't understand what you are trying to convey to your neighbors other than the fact that you agree with everything that Donald Trump says and does, that you agree with racism, that you agree with prejudice. So, you know, I say all this to say that at this stage in the game, when I hear that, you know, the next conservative has gotten COVID and is being hospitalized and they are taking up resources from other people that have done the right thing or other people that don't even have COVID, but can't get into the hospital because they're being told to sit in the fucking lobby because, you know, the hospital is overloaded. I'm like, turn these people away. You don't give a fuck about doctors and scientists until all of a sudden you're bedridden and getting ready to go on a ventilator. And now all of a sudden you're like, oh, do what you can to save me. Fuck you. Like literally, that's what I want nurses and doctors to say. Fuck you. Like I swore an oath to do no harm, but you are the one doing harm. And I'm working 24 hours a day, seven days a week to save you motherfuckers from yourself. And at some point in time, you just got to throw up your hands and be like, go with God. Do you know what I'm saying? Like I have reached a point where I know I don't want to hear the Biden administration talk about the different techniques and things that they are doing to roll out, to help people get vaccinated. Fuck them. There are entire countries like Haiti, Jamaica, uh, underdeveloped places in South America, uh, on the continent of Africa that don't even have vaccines right now. And we are flush, right? And so I'm saying, take them away. 
Give them to people that are in need. Let's conquer the global problem, right? Because the wealthy nations, much in the same way that the wealthy in the United States don't give a fuck about the poor, right? The wealthiest nations in the, in the world don't give a fuck about the underdeveloped ones. Meanwhile, it's a global health pandemic. It doesn't stay where the fuck it is. So for those countries that said, oh, I don't know, we would provide 200 million vaccines or 200 million doses here, there, and everywhere, and come to find out they have done dick. Do you think that your borders are going to what? turn COVID away at the entry like we do migrants and immigrants seeking asylum in this country? You think that you can say to COVID-19 and the next iteration, the next fucking variation, oh, no, thank you. Go back to where you came from. Yeah, it doesn't work like that. But I got to tell you that I'm done. I'm done with the conversations about the unvaccinated. I don't give a fuck, right? Like I'm done with trying to convince people. Go with God. I will wear my mask. I will wash my hands. I will continue to do what I have to do to keep myself safe. And as soon as the boosters are available, I'm getting another shot in the arm, maybe two, just for good measure. This week, the FDA is hearing from Moderna and Johnson and Johnson to talk about whether or not they are going to approve their booster shots. Because right now the only shot that is approved is Pfizer. And it is only approved for those that are 65 and older, or those with preexisting conditions that are more susceptible to illness. But for those of us who did not get Pfizer, because I did not, I got Moderna because that was what was available. I don't want to mix these two fucking things in my body. So I'm waiting on the FDA to be able to approve Moderna so that we can move forward. I don't know what the fuck they are waiting for, but let's hope that at the end of this week, we have some good news on that front. Let me turn now to Columbus Day for a moment, Um, which folks, earlier this week, I got to tell you, you know, I had half of my friends were off right? For Columbus Day slash Indigenous Day. And here's the thing. How are we doing both things at the same time? How are we deciding in this country to celebrate and provide days off for a rapist murderer, right? Who committed genocide and then also celebrating the people that he killed. How the fuck does that work? Right? Like, how does that even make sense? So I bring this up a couple of days later because I didn't recognize until I was watching uh, the local news in New York that New York puts on one of the biggest fucking parades, an actual Columbus Day parade. I had no idea, but tens of thousands of people came out and I heard this white lady on the news who said, we're not giving up Columbus. That's our Italian hero. Wait, what? Columbus, who did not discover America, who did not discover anything because you can't discover shit that where people already exist. He actually discovered, you know, Haiti slash the Dominican Republic, and he didn't discover it. He rolled up on their shores drunk, right? And this is your hero? This is your man. This is what I put up the other day um, on Twitter because, you know, folks, I just, I'm at a loss. I'm at a loss in these moments. But here's what I put up on Twitter and on Instagram. 
Only in America do we have holidays, highways, schools, and monuments named for rapists, murderers, racists, and traitors, while also banning the perspectives of those raped and pillaged by their white American heroes. This place is so fucked up. I, you know... Some days I got to tell you that I am becoming completely and totally just fucking outdone. I'm telling you one of these days I am going to walk out of my apartment, just go into the middle of the street and just scream. And do you know what? No one will probably even look at me twice. They'll probably say, yeah, that's about right. You know, here's another thing. Guess who's on vacation this week? Fucking Congress. You know, I, I want to work like Congress does. I want to go into my job. I want to do the bare fucking minimum. And then I want to go on vacation for a week. Somebody tweeted at me when I posted that comment because I I am just outdone how like Congress is so fucking ineffective right now. And it doesn't matter that Democrats are in control. And yeah, I'm fucking saying it. Because I'm not holding my tongue anymore, giving Democrats more room to just, you know, do nothing, to just create more and more disappointment. We have midterms coming up in but a handful of months, and you tell me what it is that Democrats are offering to the American people that they have done. Tell me, right? Because I don't feel any different, I don't feel any better, and I can't point to any fucking money that showed up in my bank account that I got a check from Uncle Sam to help me do a goddamn thing, right? The only thing that we continue to find out, and of course, no one is being held responsible and nobody is being held accountable, but the only thing that we continue to find out is, guess what? The people that actually needed the PPP loans didn't fucking get them. New report came out that black businesses got their PPP from online uh, bankers as opposed to small banks, right? Brick and mortar places, which are, of course, are racist. These are the same lenders that decided to be predatory and cause the fucking foreclosure crisis in America that was the largest decimation of black wealth since, oh, I don't know, the beginning of the 19th fucking century. Folks, I got to tell you, I, I, you know, America is a shithole country, right? Like America really is a shithole country. When you look around, I want to tell you about another report that I saw over the long holiday weekend. Oh, oh, I don't know that 25% of America's infrastructure, um, is basically going to be underwater given one more historic storm that the infrastructure bill, which is no longer an actual thing, um, that would help us battle our climate crisis that we are currently in. Like it's not a future thing. It's actually happening right the fuck now that yeah, in, I don't know, maybe next year, maybe a couple of months, maybe, you know, one more historic unprecedented hundred year storm that the country will be 25% of the country will be underwater. Six of those cities are in Louisiana right now and largely in, guess what, black and brown communities because, you know, we don't give a fuck about them at all, ever. Every single place that you look, there's just more devastation, 
more disaster, more fuckery. I want to tell you this too. So while I was home on Long Island, right? I, my mother is a small business owner, as you guys know, and has just celebrated, uh, which no small feat, just celebrated her 15th year of owning her yoga studio on Long Island. Now, I have said this before, that where I grew up, um, I very rarely ever saw police, except if they were like just going to and from on the major thoroughway or, you know, posted up on the Long Island Expressway to ticket people at the beginning and at the end of the month when, of course, they need to make their quotas, right? That was the only time. What I did have, however, were tree-lined streets, sidewalks, gated communities, country clubs, you know, um, schools with big expansive playgrounds and wide windows, you know, all of the symbols of middle-class America. Something has happened though it to my community over the past, oh, I don't know, 15 years. I have watched as the community that I grew up in slowly goes on the decline where I see more and more for lease signs that are in front of stores. And this was pre pandemic, right? We were one of the hard, one of the hardest hit areas, uh, during the foreclosure crisis in the early aughts when, you know, wall street bottomed down and millions of people across America lost their homes. And during that time, I remember seeing just for sale, for sale, foreclosed, foreclosed. As I was driving from my parents' house to the train station, it became more and more prominent. This weekend, there was a news story, local news story that kept recycling through. Five businesses in my small town were hit by burglar, right? Um, white man broke in mask on, uh, stealing cash registers. Now, the other thing that has happened in my neighborhood that I grew up in is the opioid crisis hit as well. And I only call it a crisis because I'm just mimicking what mainstream media says. Um, I could give a fuck and I'll be honest. Right. Um, and, and the reason why is because whenever white people become addicted to substances, it is a crisis. Whenever black people are flooded, their communities are flooded with drugs, right? And they're being set up by police and set up by the federal government. Then we need to have a war on drugs. This is why I say that I don't care. It's not because I don't know people that have been hurt by it. It's not because I don't know people that have lost loved ones because of it. It is because I am tired of the double fucking standard in this country as it pertains to people that are in need. I digress. Burglaries have been happening all around my small town, like literally on the street, right? Where my mother's yoga studio is in the same uh, development, there were two break-ins. My mother says to me over the weekend, Danielle, I don't know what is happening. Like it's starting to get really scary. And I said, yeah, mom, it is starting to get really scary. And what I want to alert you to is that things are actually going to get worse. You see, because when people are popped up on drugs, right? When people are economically disadvantaged, they're working 
40, 50, 60 hours a week and realizing that they still can't put food on the table, that they can barely pay their mortgage, that they're having to play three-card Monty, right, with their health care, their home bills, their utilities, all of these things because they're just not making them enough to cover it. When Congress is inactive, right, inept, not doing anything to support the actual economic disadvantaged people, right? And just assuming that, oh yeah, we're going to cut off unemployment because so many Americans are just sitting at home because the assumption that our politicians have about us is that we are fucking lazy, right? That we are undeserving of our own tax dollars back to support us when we are most in need. That instead they want to give that money to CEOs and shareholders in the forms of tax breaks that you and I will never get because we don't have the teams of lawyers and CPAs that are going to help us navigate these huge loopholes that are available only to the rich. And as this gap continues to widen, right? As we see the rich continue to get richer and do their little vacation jaunts to the edge of space, And then as we see on the other side, as people lose their businesses, lose their homes, and they are just downward spiraling into economic peril, you are going to see more and more increased crime. That isn't because of what the media and fucking cops want to feed you, which is that, oh, we just need more cops because more cops keep us safe. No, we need economic fucking opportunity. And I am watching it happen and ravage my hometown because people are at a loss. They can't continue at the same pace that they've been going and are bringing home less fucking money. So the break-ins are going to become the norm. And right now they are happening at night when nobody is in these small businesses. But as people become more and more desperate, what the fuck do you think is going to happen? We have an opportunity to pass major, major robust legislation in the form of the new, new deal for the 21st century to deal with the economic devastation that we are in. And we have a Congress that is just phoning it the fuck in. I'm right now reading Fiona Hill's book. And I told you guys about this last week. There's nothing for you here is the name of the book. And I got to tell you, I'm just a few pages in and it is riveting. And it is riveting because she talks about her own country's economic crisis and how she ended up in the United States and how we formed these rust belts, how these, how we've created a new knowledge-based economy, but didn't actually think about the communities that were built up solely on industry, that were built up solely on manufacturing, and that we created public school systems and curriculums that were only meant to pipeline these people into those jobs that their parents had and their grandparents had that were not about preparing them for the future. We are doing the same shit now. We are preparing no one for anything other than a lifetime of indentured servitude and debt. And we have to ask ourselves why and who is benefiting from this? Because those are the questions that are going to guide us into this next chapter. And I'm telling you folks, this next chapter of America or America-ish is going to be a very, very dark one. Coming up next, folks, is my conversation with our in-house doctor, Dr. Jonathan Metzl, to unpack where we are with the latest COVID bans on vaccinations and also the latest with gun laws. That's coming to you next. 
Folks, as always, I'm always so excited to be joined by our friend, in-house doctor, Dr. Jonathan Metzel, um, who is joining us live from New York, uh, as opposed to on Vanderbilt's campus. Jonathan, first, how are you? How are you doing? I'm great. It's a it's a beautiful day in pre-Armageddon United States. Wonderful. Um, so we have so many different Armageddon's pending. Which one are you talking about today? Well, is it the, <laughs> is it the is it COVID? Is it guns? Is it climate change? Is it the civil war that's impending? You know, what's on your mind? Well, first, just for our audience, I love puppies uh, and I love hmm. fields of pretty flowers. I'm not all gloom and doom, um, you know. Um, but I will say, in what I study and what you and I talk about, and the world and the country right now, it's just unavoidable. And the problem is, the minute you relax about one issue, like, oh, we put that fire out, there's some other really crap thing coming down the pike. And this crap thing that's coming down the pike is a case that the Supreme Court is going to hear on November 3rd um, about Basically, uh, on the docket are New York's gun laws. There's been a gun law on the books since 1913 um, in, um, in New York. And basically, it, it, New York basically says, look, we're a crowded city. It's a New York state law, but we're a crowded city. We've got lots of people on the subway, on, in traffic, in bars, in restaurants. So we just don't want everybody carrying a gun because we've <laughs> seen how that worked out. Um, and, and so since 1913, there's been a I think a very reasonable law in the books, which basically says if you want to carry a gun in New York, you've got to demonstrate an urgent need. Not that you just kind of feel like you need a gun because somebody might carjack you or something, um, but you need to demonstrate that you need it for your job, that you're unsafe, that you're being stalked by a partner, that you're um, you know, in law enforcement or something like that. Then you can get a gun license. And so that's who since, you know, for the last century, pretty much, that's who's been able to carry in New York. And the, the Supreme Court now is saying, well, maybe that's unconstitutional because anybody should be able to carry a gun who feels like they need it because this is America and the Second Amendment is, at sanct is as sacrosanct as the First Amendment. And so really what's on the docket right now is overturning the right of cities like New York, Los Angeles, Boston, other places to limit, to, to, to kind of regulate who gets to carry a gun, which is going to lead to many, many more guns in, in, in urban areas like this. And I've studied this for a long time. I've seen how this works out in other places. It ain't good, but I feel like also places like New York have a particular stake in this just because the whole vibe of New York is like much people, different people mushing together on a subway car. Like that's the great thing about New York. And, and, and when you start adding in guns, more guns to this mix, it just seems to me, catastrophic for the version of New York that, that we all know. So basically, we are living in a Republican wet dream and the rest of America's nightmare, where we have a virus that is still running rampant. We are rolling back women's uh, ability to have autonomy over their own body. We have voter suppression laws that have been pushed out all over the country. And now we want everyone, as well as who are economically unstable, um, to be able to carry a gun. What's the worst thing that can happen, Jonathan? I mean, what, a, a shootout on Fifth Avenue? I mean, you know, like, it, what? What is what is the logic behind 
the desire you think of this Supreme Court to just make it so that America is an, as unsafe as possible, while at the same time gaslighting the hell out of us and telling us that they are not partisan while sitting next to Mitch McConnell speaking at Mitch McConnell's, you know, fairy conference, which is what Amy COVID Barrett did. Like, I, I just, we're not headed anywhere good. So what are, what are gun, you know, gun um, protection advocates, what, what are they saying right now about this impending case for November 3rd? And whatever happened to states' rights and cities' rights? I, I thought that that was one of the pillars of republicanism. Is, is that gone as well? Well, the pillar of republicanism is whatever it takes. Um, you know, it's not consistent. It's just whatever we can do to own the libs, basically. Um, and so states' rights except um, we, we won't interfere with private businesses except for when we want to overturn a COVID policy, you know, stuff like that. So nothing is consistent. It's not like, oh, I mean, Trump is a perfect symbol of this. It's not, there's no, the man has no ideal. Um, it's all like whatever it takes to, to get a, a particular form of, of power. And so that's, that's, that's exactly what this is, right? Um, and the hard part is the data is just overwhelming that cities and states that within a country where you you can control the flow of guns the way you can control the flow of coronavirus, i.e. you can't. Um, but even then, cities and states that are able to, some, you know, have some common sense gun, gun reform, um, permit purchase, you know, purchase processes, background checks, red flag, flag laws, it works, right? Those places have less gun injury and death. And so what you're doing is you're, you're taking the policies from the shit places and you're bringing them to the places that have reasonable places. So it's not just upturning states' rights, it's taking bad policies and, in, and, and imposing them on the places that have good policies. Now, your question is really important because there are two parts of it. On one hand, what does a gun law in New York matter to somebody in the South who most people have never been to New York? Um, and I can say I've been doing interviews for the past six months with people about this. And um, on one hand, New York represents like this ideal, like the liberal idea of a place where I can't go and carry my guns. You know, it's like this blue state that is a restriction on my unfettered rights as a white man to be able to pack heat and something like that. So the idea of New York is an affront, you know, it, it's an affront um, to this idea that my gun rights should be, you know, as far as the eye can see, you know, uh, something like that. So there's part of that. And then also there's a kind of racial logic I found when I talked to people that it was kind of like, well, there's all these gangbangers and carjackers there. And of course I'd want my gun. Like they imagine these kind of racialized scenarios and then they, imagine that they need guns in those scenarios. And so there's this kind of racial logic. Now, again, the irony, of course, is none of these people have been to New York. Um, they, you know, New York is actually by far more relaxed than walking around a place where there are, are a lot of guns. Um, and so that, that's part of the issue. But New York is particularly symbolic. The fact that there's a, that there's a, you know, a century old New York law on the books is particularly symbolic for this bigger war of kind of Southern policies coming to the North. So basically right now we have a Supreme Court that is going to overturn everything. 
right, that is going to overturn uh, gun protection, that is going to overturn women's rights, that is going to, um, they, they are hearing a case on whether or not uh, businesses are able to mandate vaccines. Where, Jonathan, what's the end game here? Like, what, what, what do you foresee as the end game when you're doing these interviews with these, you know, right wingers? Like, what is what is their end game? What, what is the goal that they that they have? Well, I don't I don't think it's a it's not a mystery. The end game is already living in places like Texas and Tennessee. Um, un, you know, unquestioned white GOP power that's that's in place because of gerrymandering. Um, which leads to incredible wealth inequity, um, every kind of inequity. Like when you have a lot of guns, it's not like everybody gets shot. A lot of people go to gated communities and everybody else is kind of left to fend for themselves. And so, um, and so look at Texas, look at, uh, look at Tennessee. There's no way that minoritized communities are going to ever get a say. There's no way the Democrats are ever going to win an election because of the because of the election cheating system that's in place. And so I think what we're seeing is trying to instill that over the entire country. Um, um, and, and, you know, so again, like I, I, <laughs> I, th I think that to me seems kind of obvious. I mean, not obvious, but, but clear and transparent. Like, it's not like we're imagining some world it's, it's already existing. It just doesn't exist in blue states and that's what's happening. What do your students say? on your campus about, about what is happening right now. Like I, I just, you know, I got to tell you that I feel really deeply for young people. I feel really deeply about what we are doing to this country, what we are going to be handing over to them, which in my humble opinion is a big pile of shit. Um, we're giving them a climate crisis. We're giving them unfettered gun laws where, I mean, unfettered, you know, gun use, uh, rich, racial unrest, economic instability. What are they saying in your classes as you are talking about, you know, COVID in, uh, you know, and the media as you're talking about, you know, mental health and, and gun laws, what is the, what is the persistent kind of, uh, conversation that, that you all are having? It's sad. I mean, I asked, my class the other day, how many people feel like we're living in the end of days? And like, I have 200 students in my class, like half of them raise their hands, you know, I feel so sad, but it's not just about that, you know, because they're of course very attuned to the climate. Like if you were, if you were 19 years old right now and you're trying to imagine what climate's going to be like 50 years from now, like it, it's, it's pretty scary. Right. And so they're trying to figure that out. The economy is weird, like all these supply chain issues and things like that. What does that mean? What's the future of jobs, of public safety? So I don't know. It's weird. I, there was this, there was a study that came out like a year ago that basically looked at what's called social capital. It said that societies that are going to weather this pandemic the best are the ones where more people feel like they're working to help other people, that there's the most social cohesion, um, that there's like structures in place where everybody can see, oh yeah, we're, we're part of a national health service or we are part of a you know, social safety net, something like that. So those places, I think it'll be interesting to see their psychology now. Certainly if they have better health outcomes from COVID, but I bet they have better psychological outcomes too of kind of, we're in a good place because we're all working together. I mean, it, it's kind of an ideal, but it's, you know, it's, it's a lot different than what we're seeing in the U.S. right now. So I think, you know, 
there's this all this literature social it's called social capital and we don't have a lot of it to spend right now is there a difference between how folks that you are interviewing in these conservative areas are speaking about the current state of our country versus the conversations that you are having on your campus Right. right. Like because we are so we are so in our corners and in our tribes right now, are you seeing a through line in the anxiety and frustration? And what does that look like? Well, I'm doing a big project right now that does kind of focus groups with different groups of voters uh, across the South. And I'm interviewing liberals and Democrats and people from pretty much every demographic group in separate groups. And I can say on one hand, there's a ton of just suffering right now. People are suffering from COVID, from financial uh, in, insecurity, really, um, from a kind of tribalism. Tribalism is not that fun. You, you're living in a heightened state of anxiety all the time. Um, and so in that regard, um, in, in that regard, I do think there's a tremendous amount of just me, you know, <laughs> to think of Durkheim, uh, this, this sense of despair across our country right now. But I will say that just imagine if you were in a group who your main things were, you all you care about is making abortion completely illegal, expanding Second Amendment, having your political party to take power. Um, so it, it's a pretty heady time for people who are in, in the demographic that is being benefited by all of these policies, by the gerrymandering and stuff like that. So on their hand, especially if you don't really believe in COVID, you, you feel like you're on the on the winning team. And so it certainly is, um, you know, not everybody's experiencing this, this dystopia in the same way. You know, Jonathan, do you feel like there is a path forward? I, 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 and, I, and I ask that not because you're a politician, you know, or anything, but because you're a person that genuinely cares about understanding the other side, about figuring out, you know, what makes them tick, right? Like why, you know, why they're willing to die of whiteness, why they're willing to take down the country with them. Like we can't have this lopsided democracy. Like it is, it's just like, there's only one way that I see this going, but I'm curious as to what you think. Yeah, I think that too. <laughs> you know, um, yeah, I think we're in trouble now, and and I think that you know it's it's hard because the frustration is is so it's just so bleh, everywhere right now, right? I mean, I'm I'm frustrated. Maybe the deck was stacked against Biden from the first day, um, because it's hard to run a presidency when you're governing a a very razor thin already fractured coalition and the party before you is refusing to even do anything. So it was certainly hard. I'm frustrated with the Democrats for, for not coming together to figure out some way to get some stuff done. I feel like that's going to really have some very serious consequences. And then the issues themselves are very, are very serious. And so, yeah, I, I don't know. I just, I, I miss how I felt in June, which is like, <laughs> The pandemic June, is over. June of what year exactly? Even this past June was pretty. <laughs> like, this past June, it was like, you know, yeehaw. Um, but uh, but I I don't um, I don't know. It's 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 um it's a uh, 
TBD right now. <laughs> you know, the, the last question that I want to ask you um, is about the pandemic um, and is about the pandemic becoming endemic, right? And at what, when do, when, when does that become an actual thing? right? Like people keep saying it, like this pandemic is just going to be around. It is going to, the COVID-19 is going to be endemic. It's going to be, you know, a part of our lives and our existence. At what threshold is that the case? Like oh, what there. threshold? Okay. Yeah, no, we're there. I mean, we thought before we could defeat, now, there's some great, there's some great stuff on the horizon here. I mean, there are treatments for more, I mean, the one I'm most excited about, we can talk about it next week, is, is stuff happening in, in at Vanderbilt, um, which is a, a kind of treatment that will give you sustained levels of antibodies. Uh, and so I think there are good things on the horizon that will continue to make this. I mean, we're obviously in the pandemic sense, better off now than we were a year ago. Um, but uh, I, I don't know... Um, you know, we'll have to see, but but it, it is not going away. Uh, but 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 I also think again. Imagine how you felt before vaccines, before we had access to better masks, before we knew more about the transmission patterns and stuff. So this is just always it's always going to be changing. But I do feel like there are treatments on the horizon that are going to continue to make this less of an urgent threat than it is now. And if these any of these long term antibody treatments end up working, that they really to me at least could be as big of game changers as the, as the vaccine. All right. Well then we will leave it there on that. Hopeful, the one hopeful note that we had this entire interview as <laughs> always, Jonathan, we appreciate your time, your analysis and your insight. Um, so very much. Take care everybody. And, you know, just to quote Monty Python, always look on the bright side of life. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that is, but we will try. Okay. Appreciate you. That's it for today's Woke AF Daily. To get the full video of today's show, a backlog of hundreds of shows, exclusive content, and more, support me on Patreon at patreon.com slash Woke AF. Power to the people and to all the people power. Get woke and stay woke as fuck. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. See new things. Try new things. Go back centuries while living in the moment. Forge new paths while discovering old ones. Pedal, paddle, and paint while trekking, tasting, and tailoring experiences that transform you into a better version of yourself. Immerse yourself in the world by activating your mind, your heart, and your body on a river cruise exclusively from Avalon Waterways. Save with limited time offers at AvalonWaterways.com. Avalon is cruising. Elevated. This is Raquel Willis from Clear Chronicles. 
Right now, there are close to 500 anti-LGBTQ plus bills in state legislatures across the country. Lambda Legal is leading the charge against these hateful bills that target mostly trans and non-binary people. You can fight discrimination and help write the next chapter of Lambda Legal history. To learn more about their open cases and to donate, visit lambdalegal.org. That's lambdalegal.org.